President, President Bob Cundiff, he sends his greetings. We were together at Mohaven on Thursday evening, and as I dropped him off, he said, make sure you tell those wonderful folks at Brooklyn that I greet them. So I send greetings from Elder Bob. And he's just a wonderful leader. I'm glad he's in Ohio, a great man of God. And I'm, I'm sure that with all of us continuing to lift Jesus up, knowing that he's coming soon, we can finally finish the work and see Jesus. Amen. And so I'm glad that he's joined us in Ohio. It's not, it's not easy to transfer in the midst of pandemics. I asked him, so how, how is Ohio and visiting churches? And he said, well, frankly, I don't know, because whenever I'm in a church, there's always just a handful of people. Not everybody's back at church. And so it's been a tough transition uh, from Maine to, to Ohio, but he's enjoying Ohio very much, and we're glad he's here as well. Well, today I'd like to challenge you, if that's okay, and to encourage you. I'm not going to just challenge you, but I will encourage you as well, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our study together. So would you mind if we just have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into God's word, asking him to speak we're going to today, just to give you an idea, go through three prophets in the Bible. We're going to have Micah challenge us, and we're going to have um, Jeremiah challenge us, and then, of course, we're going to have Jesus, the greatest prophet, speak to us Amen. and encourage us as well. And so I hope that today you have your Bibles either on your phones or uh, just a uh, old-fashioned, like I like to have it, some form as we go through parts of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Let's pray together as we open God's Word. Gracious Father, I do thank you again for the privilege you've given us to come together and worship you. Often we take it for granted that we wake up in the morning, that we could get into cars, that we could get together, but every moment is a gift. And even the privilege to worship you is a gift. And so we thank you, Lord, for life today. We thank you for eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we could gather together to hear Jesus. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. For without your Spirit, we will not understand nor see Jesus. And so, Father, I ask, pour out your Spirit. I ask humbly. I ask because of our great need I ask, Lord, because without your Spirit's presence, we will not see Jesus. And so pour out your Spirit, reveal Christ, and draw us closer to Jesus today. May we hear his voice speaking to us, and may we respond today to Jesus is our prayer in his wonderful, precious name. Amen. Amen. Follow through. Those are two words that I use often. One of the privileges I get to do is to coach both soccer and middle school. Not now because it's COVID, but the last three or four years, I've coached middle school at Spring Valley Academy. And the Lord knows how to humble a man. Last year, as I was coaching soccer by myself because nobody else was there to help, We lost every single game last year, and I mean every single game. And I was even getting closer to the Lord, praying on that soccer field before the game, Lord, give us one game. And he teased with me because there was one game that we were up four to two. 
we were up, actually four to three, with ten minutes left. And I thought, could this be the game? And to make a long story short, it wasn't. We lost. And so that's the way it worked. But the Lord knows how to make it up to keep us uh, close to him and to, to throw us a little joy once in a while. The basketball team that I get to coach, they're fun. And basketball is much faster moving. And in three years, we didn't lose one game. Three years. So I retired because I'm done. It's only downhill from here. But it's easy to coach when you, your players are taller than you. I'm talking about eighth graders. We had two of them taller than me, my forward and my center. You, could, you should have seen the other coach and his team just looking at our guys, thinking, are these high school kids? And so it's easy to win when you have such height on your team. But there's two words that I say over and over again, because for middle schoolers, you're teaching basic fundamentals. And part of fundamentals is when you kick a ball or when you shoot a basketball, you have to follow through. Because of the motion of the range, if you pause, it stops the motion and your shot will be short. Or it will go to the right or to the left. Same thing with a soccer ball. Unless you follow through, you don't have power to it. Following through is something I teach over and over again. When I open God's word, he tells me the same thing. Edward, in your relationship with me, you have to follow through. Without follow through, you will be short in your experience. And so this is, I believe, something that Micah shares with us. If you have your Bibles, go to Micah chapter 6. A little bit about Micah. A little bit about Micah. Micah is like a mini Isaiah. If you ever want to get a flavor of Isaiah 66 chapters, but you don't have time to sit down to read Isaiah, just read Micah. You get a little taste of what Isaiah is like. Micah served as a prophet in the time of three kings of Judah. And if you really love history that much, it was from 750 B.C. to 686 B.C. The first one was Jotham. You can read about him in 2 Kings 15. Jotham, he ruled about 16 years, and he was kind of a decent king. He was not wicked, but he was not, like, really great. He was decent. He was okay. After him came this wicked king named Ahaz. Now, Ahaz was this wicked pagan king that was unfaithful to the Lord, and the Bible tells you the wickedness of Ahaz. Now, he also ruled about 16 years, but then when you go to 2 Kings 16, you'll find that one of the best kings of Judah started reigning. His name was Hezekiah. So picture in your mind, Jotham is okay. Then you go into this wickedness of idol worship, and, and, and not only just worshiping idols, but even sacrificing kids to these idols, totally going away from God, to Hezekiah, who produces this reformation coming back to God, where the temple is opened up and everybody worships God again. Micah now has these words to say in Micah 6 at a time of reformation. God's people are back in church. And notice what Micah says in chapter 6. So that's your context of Micah chapter 6. Are you following? Verse 1. 
Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. What you have here is a divine courtroom. God is standing up and he says, I have a complaint and it's against my people and the witnesses is to be the surrounding nature. Hear what I have to complain and here's God's complaint in this divine courtroom. Verse 3, oh my people, what have I done to you? And now how have I wearied you testify against me? Now this is the question. Listen, my people, what is it that I have done that you don't fully worship me? And what are the great burdens that I have laid on you that have made it hard for you to stay faithful to me? Mm. Mm. Now notice, continuing in verse 4, God answers the question, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. From Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. So what the Lord does is he brings his people together. And notice, it's a time of reformation. They're back in church, but something's missing. What God is saying is you're not following through. Something's missing. So here, people, what have I done for you to not be faithful to me? And let me remind you where you were at in Egypt and how I brought you out and sent you prophets, and remember those that were against you, Balak and Balaam. Remember those that tried to trip you up, what they've done. But what have I done? Was I like Balaam and Balak and tried to harm you? No, I I redeemed you. So then, why are you so distant from me? And so notice the response of the people. The response of the people, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? How about 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. So it seems like conscience is awakened and they say, all right, we will come before the Lord. How can we bring, what kind of offering can we bring to show that we want to respond to the Lord's appeal? And if you know this, each offering becomes greater in value. Because he begins with the fact, how about I bring a burnt offering? What if I just bring, you know, 2% of my income? Will that suffice to the Lord? No, I'll do better. I'll even tithe. How about if I give my 10% and bring about 2-3%? How about that? No, how about if I give the Lord a car? 
Donate it to a missionary. No? All right, then I'll give him my house. I'll sell it and donate everything. How about that? How about, if that's not good enough, if I give my firstborn? I mean, you're going from, you know, I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll put $10 in. Wait, that, that's not enough. I got to do more. I'll support a missionary. No, how about, do you see how we often think in terms of what can I give back to the Lord? And then as the Lord seems to say, that, that's not what I want, we kind of try to say, well, how about if I let go a little bit more of myself? And then the Lord finally lays it down in the verses that you know very well, Micah 6, 8. You know these verses. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Here it is. This is what God wants in response for all that he's done for us. Here it is. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Those three sentences spell follow through. It's not enough to just bring your tithes and sing your hymns. That's just a motion that stops. And the ball clanks off the rim. The follow through is to do justly. That's action. You need to stop just talking. You need to do something about it. And notice, not just anything. Don't just do anything. Well, I'm going to change my habits. That's great. But it's time to do justice. God loves justice. The book of Amos is all about justice. Today we live in a world of injustice. And I have found that even as Christians, we spew injustice. It's time for the church to stand for the right though the heavens fall. We need to act justly. It's a call to action. When we get to Jeremiah, he'll explain this a little more in detail. But notice, it's not enough to do action. What also is needed is one to love mercy. You know, I went through the minor books last year and just spent immersing in them. And I'm telling each minor book is so amazing. And if there was one minor prophet that needed to learn to love mercy was the prophet Jonah. Can I just take a little detour into Jonah? Because this is a Jonah who loved to jog. Any joggers in here? The first time he jogged, he jogged away from God. He said, God wants me to go here. I'm going to run here. And so he was running from God. Why? Because he did not want to have mercy on the Ninevites. But once he got swallowed by the fish, he learned to love mercy because God had mercy on him. And so he started jogging again. And this time he jogged back to God. Because he realized running from God is not good. And once he jogged back to God and learned mercy towards him, God told him, I want you to run now to Nineveh. Yes. Amen. But it was there that he, he ran into God too. Yes. 
Have you ever run into God? Where you found that God's purposes are against your purposes and you keep running into him because it's not making sense? Lord, why is it that these Ninevites who are so wicked, you're not destroying them? And do you know how Jonah ends? Where God speaks and Jonah speaks. Jonah speaks death. I wish I would die. God speaks life. Shouldn't I have had mercy on all these Ninevites and all these animals? Shouldn't I have had mercy? God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson that many of us don't know. See, Jonah was a prophet of God. He should have been close to God. One thing Jonah did not have is mercy towards sinners. Now, that, this is a unique word here, and, and I'm sure you've heard it before. The word used by the prophet here is the word chesed, which is an, the most beautiful word in the Hebrew language, means loving kindness, deep love, faithfulness. Even in a time of unfaithfulness, chesed means faithfulness. God is faithful, merciful, kind, loving. And he wants us to love faithfulness, mercy. What God is saying is, I want you to do justice, and I want you to act with kindness towards everybody. Yes, even if you're a Republican, be kind to a Democrat. That's exactly what that means. Genuine kindness towards all. It's funny, but you know that our church is split down the middle between Democrats and Republicans. Are you Trump or Biden? Who cares? We are to love mercy. Even if I disagree with you, I am to love mercy. And then it puts it this way. We are to have a different attitude. An attitude of humility. Walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. What does it mean to follow through? Walk humbly with the Lord. What does it mean to follow through? Love, mercy. Stop being judgmental, critical, divisive. Love, mercy. And speak up when you see injustice. Speak up. Speak up. That's what God wants. You know, humility is interesting. Humility is not uh, thinking of yourself less. It's thinking less of yourself. Humility is not putting yourself down all the time. Humility is thinking about the Lord and others. And as soon as you think you have humility in your grasp, you just lost it. It's like the guy who in the town was voted as the most humble person, and he wore it proudly the next day. That's what happens with humility. As soon as you think you've gotten it, it it slips through your fingers. And that's why it says you are to walk humble. It's an attitude of a learner and a journey with Jesus all the time. Not of arrogance, nor of pride, but one 
where Jesus is all and the service of others is above myself. That is humility. Now we're done with Micah, and now let's pick up with Jeremiah, chapter 7. Now Jeremiah comes later, a little later than Micah. Jeremiah, chapter 7. I know that Micah is further into the uh, Old Testament, but Jeremiah, he was a prophet during the last five kings of the Old Testament of the Jews. Um, And he started with Josiah. Now listen, this is what makes Jeremiah chapter 7 so amazing. A little background here too. So Jeremiah did serve under uh, the last five kings. And notice you had Jotham. We talked about him. He was a decent guy, right? Ahaz was wicked. Hezekiah brought back a reformation, but his son Manasseh, not only was he wicked, but he was the wickedest of them all. And he ruled 50 plus years, if I remember 55 years of wickedness. See, there are 52, 55 years of wickedness. I mean, is Judea went into a time of deep darkness spiritually. But then from the most wicked king, you have the, the best, Josiah. Josiah brought back the temple worship. He did away with all of Manasseh's shrines and idol worships, and he opened up the temple. And Hezekiah was great, but Josiah was the best. He made one mistake. He meddled into a battle that wasn't his, and he died in that battle. And you can imagine the grief of losing a king that was the best spiritual king. And so Jeremiah grieved during that time. But he had a message for God's people in Jeremiah 7. Again, same like in Micah. You left paganism. You left the world. You came back to God, but you didn't follow through. Notice Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim proclaim this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord. If you ever read through the 52 chapters of Jeremiah, just count how many times he likes to use the word word. Right? The word of the Lord. Word. And here you find either the word of God or the words of men. Whose words will you believe in? God's word or the word of the world? So notice here the difference. Verse 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Here's what they were doing. They left paganism. The worship of God is open. The temple is is back to its glory. Not like Solomon's glory, but it's back in service. And they come and say, ah, the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Isn't this great? We're worshiping God again. We're singing the hymns of Zion. Ah, this is so wonderful. And then notice what Jeremiah says in verse 5. For 
if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings. Action again. If you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. If you do not oppress the stranger. By the way, who are strangers? Not fellow Jews. Those were Gentiles. The fatherless and the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Or walk after other gods to your hurt. Then... I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Notice verse 9. Here it is. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations. Mm. What he's saying is Sunday through Friday you live like the devil. And Sabbath you come here and say the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. You cheat people out of their money. You're unjust. You're rude. You text things that are hurtful. And you don't care about crushing the oppressed. And you come to church and say, ah, the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. And nobody else wants to come to church because you've cheated them. You've hurt them. You've been mean to them. You've been unchristlike to them. Follow through. Follow through. Follow through. Notice verse 11. Did Jesus not quote this at one time? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves? In your eyes, behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. You know, the Lord sees our thoughts, our actions, the way we hurt, and the way we hurt others. He sees. And then he sees when we come here and we act like it's all okay. And he says, it's not okay. I have a complaint against you. You're not doing justly. You're not loving mercy. You're not walking humbly with me. There's arrogance because you think you have all 28 beliefs forward and backwards, up and down. There's arrogance because you think you've figured out the last days. But I don't know you. You're not walking humbly with me. The Lord wants something. He wants us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. He's not asking for my firstborn. He's not asking me to sell my car and walk everywhere. And he's not asking me to hurt myself like Martin Luther trying causing to. That's not what he wants. He wants me to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. That's what he wants. I told you that we would end with Jesus, the greatest prophet. And if you have your Bible, I want you to go with me to Matthew. And we're going to look here at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Notice Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, 
Jesus has a few accents that he brings out. He accents confidence in the beginning. He accents admiration there in the middle in verses 7 through 11. But then he, here in verse 20, begins with a heart, accenting his broken heart towards some cities that he visited. In verse 20, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, that shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. You know, Jesus mentioned six cities here. There's Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. They are condemned for their actions of sins. We know about sodomy. We know about the condemnation of homosexuality. And we say they're condemned cities, but Jesus looks at Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum and says, the judgment against you is greater. And do you know why? Because while they are judged for their actions of sin, your problem is one of inaction, of indifference, of doing nothing. Because if you think of Capernaum, it was known as the city of Jesus. And if you ever visit Israel, you could go to Nazareth and it's a booming city and Bethlehem and it's a, a city where people live in and Jerusalem. It's a maybe sometimes volatile, but it's a, it's a beautiful city. But Capernaum, if you visit Capernaum, it's a dead city. It's just stones everywhere. Nobody lives there. You could see the condemnation of Jesus, of a city that accepted it in, listened to him, accepted his healing, but was indifferent towards Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus is great. We've heard his speaking. Oh, Jesus had wonderful words. Yeah, he healed our sick. What'd you do about it? Nothing. Nothing. And what's above Sinful actions is indifference. When we see a brother and sister hurting and we don't speak justice or act justice, indifference. When we see pain and suffering and we fold our hands and we say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You know, this idea of saying the right words and being in the right place. That is exactly what Micah and Jeremiah and Jesus were, 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 were just stressing. Is Micah and Jeremiah were saying, you're in the right place, and you're saying the right words, but you're not following through right here. Because you go home, and nothing has changed. You live a life of indifference when you could be making a difference. 
and, and, and let me tell you, it's okay to be in the right place and, and to say the right words, but there has to be follow-through in my life that people see, that my children see, that my spouse sees, that my neighbors see, that my coworkers see, that they see Jesus. And, and being in the right place and saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Word does not make me holy as much as going into a barn and me neighing make me a horse. And, and for, it does not make me holy to say the right words than for me to tell my spouse 20 times to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I don't do nothing and don't follow through. Right words and right actions have a place. But if there's no follow-through, there's something missing. I, I like to kind of point it in a direction of uh, a wedding and a marriage. Because I often have couples come to me and say, Pastor, we want to get married. Would you do our wedding? And, and while they're thinking of the wedding, I'm thinking of a marriage. Because weddings are easy. Marriages take work. And, and, and while they come and meet with me and say, Okay, Pastor, we were thinking that the, the program would go like this. I'm thinking of, let's learn about forgiveness. And, and love. And communication. And while they're thinking of, well, where, where will the bridegroom stand and, and the bride and the bridesmaids and where will, I'm thinking of, let's talk about when you don't feel like loving your spouse and when you're having that argument and how do we move forward. Weddings are easy. A marriage takes work. And, and what God's people were always doing is, we're, we're married to the Lord. Let's have this great wedding. And, 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 and Jeremiah says, let's talk about the marriage, of the journey with Jesus, of what it looks like being the bride of Christ. Let, let's talk about that. Because it's not just a one-time event. Amen. It's a lifetime event. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in his book, Running with Horses, page 66. Going to the right church and saying the right words is a lot easier than working out a life of justice and love among the people you work and live with. Showing up at church once a week and saying a hearty amen is a lot easier than engaging in a life of daily prayer and scripture meditation that develops into concern for poverty, poverty, injustice, hunger, and war. You know, in a world that is so divided today, where there's so much cry of injustice, where are God's people to follow through, to say, you are welcomed here, you are loved here, you are not judged here. Amen. Jesus loves you. Amen. We love you. We extend mercy, grace. This is the place you belong. Let's work together for the sake of the kingdom. Yes. Where is the church for that? Yes. And how do we get to the point to follow through? How do we get there where we don't stop short of going to the right place and saying the right words, but that we... How do we get there? 
It's by accepting the invitation of Jesus that my young friend Robbie read earlier in Matthew 11. When he said these verse, words in verse 28, Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where do I learn to follow through? It is only in a real deep relationship with Jesus Christ. A consistent relationship where he turns me from a son of thunder into a child of grace. Where he turns me from a child who denies him to a child who lives for him. Where he turns me from fear to courage. Only he can do that. And only he can do that through exposure to Jesus Christ. I need to expose myself to him often and always. Come to him. And he will help me to know how to follow through. You know, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he was speaking as a carpenter. Because yokes were not sold at Walmart for the oxen. Yokes were made individually for each oxen. Each oxen is different. And so you can't just take one yoke and put it on another. They can't pull with it right. It could injure the oxen. I could see Jesus as a carpenter measuring an ox and saying, I'm going to make a yoke for this so that he can pull a burden and not injure himself. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he has one that is different from yours and mine, each one of us. But it can pull the burdens. It can take the weight off. He makes it personally for us. When he says, take my yoke, he says, take my will. Take my joy. Take my life. Take my all. You will find rest in me. That's my prayer for us. I, I, I don't pray for us to just go through the motions anymore. I pray that we wear the yoke of Jesus, that we find rest in him, and that we follow through. Amen. We could all stand for our closing hymn, number 602. Oh, brother, be faithful. Number 602.
our heads for benediction. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that even today, he walks with us and he talks with us as the hymn says. He journeys with us and we have the privilege to walk humbly with our Lord. And on my prayers, Lord, as we depart this place, may we choose to walk humbly with Jesus. May we choose to exercise and love mercy. And may we choose to do justice and to share Jesus and to follow him this week. In his precious name we pray. Amen.